0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, you're listening to episode 374, and my guest is Julianne Staley. Julianne recently joined team New Balance Boston. She is a 2020 Olympian for team Canada. She ran the 5,000 meters at the Olympics. She has a 1457, 5,000 meter PR, which she brought that time down quite a bit in 2021. And you're going to hear about that journey. Julianne is from a small town, and we talk about that in this episode. We talk about moving to the United States and joining Team New Balance Boston and what her dreams are for the future. Uh, Julianne also recently just ran in her first World Indoor Championships team, and we hear about that. This is such a fun conversation. She has so many wise things to say in this episode that we can all apply to our lives. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it with her. All right, friends, and this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Portland Bee Balm. Portland Bee Balm is amazing. They have lip balm and salve and beyond the amazing quality of their balm, Portland B Balm is committed to creating sustainable products, which is hugely important to me. They are members of 1% for the planet, which means They donate 1% of revenue to organizations tackling our planet's most pressing environmental issues. This is so cool. Products that are useful, natural, and add value to people's lives and the world. Portland Bee Balm provides the best hydration for your lips with clean and simple ingredients. Since I put balm on my lips multiple times a day, it is very important to me that the products I'm using are clean and effective. Portland Bee Balm has so many different varieties of scents but my favorite is the organ mint. The ingredients they source and the packaging they use all support health and well-being to the environment and community. So awesome. My kids also use the products and actually um, one of my kids, their hands get really chapped, especially in the winter, spring months. And he's been using the salve on his hands and it's been so helpful. Um, So you can support Portland Bee Balm, which is a small family owned business. When you go to portlandbeebalm.com, And use the code SANDYBOY for 20% off your first order. And just know, friends, when you support sponsors of this podcast, you're supporting this show to keep it rolling. So if you're someone who buys lip balm, go buy it from Portland Bee Balm. You can get a huge multi-pack. Their prices are competitive. Highly recommend checking them out. PortlandBeeBalm.com. Use the code SANDYBOY for 20% off your first order. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Julianne. Today on I'll Have Another, we have Julianne Stalley on the show. Welcome to the show, Julianne. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Are you in Boston?
1: I'm doing well, yeah. I just got back to Boston a few days ago. Um, I took some downtime after uh, World Indoors, and we're just kind of getting back into training before we head to Flagstaff.
0: Now, how long are you guys going to Flagstaff for?
1: It's sort of indefinite. I think we we have it booked for a couple months, but I think maybe even through uh, to the trials, then to World Outdoors in in Eugene.
0: Okay, that's exciting.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be my first kind of proper training camp at altitude, so um, I'm looking forward to just having that group and and seeing kind of how I respond to to that stimulus. So
0: so exciting. So for listeners that might not know Julianne yet, she is an Olympian, a 2020 Olympian, ran in 2021, obviously, um, in the 5000 from Canada and recently joined Team New Balance Boston. So just like such a big year you've had in the past one, two, I guess two years, really. Let's talk about moving to the United States.
1: Yeah. So in September of last, I guess just last fall, I made the move to Boston um, after the games. And I think um, it wasn't really something I considered in terms of kind of transitioning into professional running, but I think it was definitely the right move. And I think after the Olympics and just getting a taste of that kind of world class competition, I knew that, you know, I have I have more to give. And I think this next two years that I've carved out for myself until 2024 um, it just gives me that space and sort of environment to be able to, to just focus on running and, and see where I can take it for for the next couple of years. So, um, yeah, it's it's been amazing. The group is incredible. Uh, Mark is awesome. I think it was this sort of um, connection over the span of last outdoor season that I slowly, you know, you, you see these people again and again, and you're competing with them. And, um, you know, I started asking some questions and, um, then I came for a little trip down to Boston before I headed out to Japan. And I think that's when I knew that this would be a a great fit. And it's been awesome just to have this many women at this level that you can train with every day.
0: So what was your training like before the move? You made the Olympic team for Canada. Who were you training with then and where were you living then?
1: Yeah, so essentially I still had my university coach uh, from 2012 all the way until the game. So Steve Boyd, I was coached by him and um, I had relocated to London, Ontario after I moved um, away from university um, in Kingston. So it was a long relationship and just really this consistency over time, I think, is what slowly, um, you know, brought me to that level in terms of making my first Olympic team and in terms of the training I think it was it was tough I was doing a lot of my own recruiting you know friends here and there to you know like pace you on a bike and a workout but I think it did it developed and and made me strong in in a lot of ways but I think once you want to you know once you're at this level it's it takes that extra amount of push and I think It's only possible when you're surrounded by like-minded individuals who can who can bring it every day in practice, and that's sort of where I'm at now is um, being totally okay with getting my ass handed to me in every session, um, with the hope so that this is going to translate to some faster times on the track.
0: Yeah, it's super exciting. I saw you post somewhere like, I made it all the way to the top and now I'm at the bottom again. And it's like, you made that big step in that training environment that you were in. And now this is your next, like, this is the next chapter to get to that stage again, but not on the bottom. I guess that sounds negative how I said it, but you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's That's exactly what it feels like. And I think it's it's a different place now because this is the highest level of competition. You're at the Olympics or you're at the world indoors. So there is no step up. It's just, you know, this is the race that you're given. And how are you going to, you know, make those improvements to be able to be on that podium? And I think for, for myself, like it's, it's weird to think like you can only kind of go backwards at this point. And my career has been sort of this, like, steady progression and and now it's at the point where you know these little marginal you know improvements it's, it's really just like you're slowly trying to squeeze out the last bit of performance um, so it, it's really hard <laughs> and it's you know i think you you realize like you're so fortunate to be able to do something like this but there is you know moments every day where you just question like are you good enough like can you can you get to that level because you know, after competing at Tokyo and just at World Indoors last couple weeks ago, I think it does sort of it shakes things up a little bit and it it humbles you in a different way where you realize like, you know, this is the best. And like, are you capable? Like, are you physically and mentally able to to run at this level?
0: And what are some things that you do or people that you talk to to convince yourself you belong and you will keep making those marginal gains?
1: Yeah, I think It's a lot of conversations. I think you, you talk to different people for different things, you know, right after the race, I think, you know, you touch base with your coach, but there's not much that needs to be said, you know, what the performance was. And, you know, Mark was just pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, the race played out and that was a tough kind of field. And obviously there was a lot of people in there too. So, um, I think you know from my parents perspective talking to them it's just you know they're going to be proud no matter what and giving yourself the best possible shot but also making sure that the enjoyment and what you're doing is that you you know you're enjoying that process every day and that that's not you know being um i guess uh, overshadowed by you know the pressure to perform and i think you know then you step back a little bit and you just think about okay like you, you're here, like this is, you know, you, everything you've done up to this point has got you to this, you know, level. So you, you sort of go back and forth between, you know, are you capable? And then you realize, okay, wait, like I've done this before. There's been times in my career where I've had a plateau in performance and I was able to make that next push and it took time, but you, you sort of come back to, you know, what have I done? And, you know, evidence that the, you know, results, you know, they speak for themselves. So, Um, a big thing for me is just working with a sports psychologist. And um, it's been exactly a year now that I've sort of had bi-monthly meetings where we just sit down and, you know, where am I at? How do I feel? You know, pre-post race and just kind of hash it out and then refocus. And, you know, I think you can have a lot of feelings towards, you know, how your performance went and everything, but you have to be able to like discipline that emotion and be able to Sort of channel it and take from it because those learning experiences, I think, come the most from when your performance is not at the best. When everything's going well, it's easy. But I think this is exactly that growth kind of spurt that I had like a year ago, even just trying to qualify for Tokyo.
0: Okay, so Tokyo, and you just made your first world indoor team, two huge teams to make, two world stage competitions what, tell me about like the difference that you felt between the two, like with worlds indoors, did you feel like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I've been here before on this world stage. And how did you process that?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, I think. And mostly just because of the competition, you look on the start line and you're like, this is, this is familiar. We've got, you know, with a three K though indoors, it's funny because it's sort of Smushes together the 5K, 1500. So now you're you're bringing together athletes from sort of either side and distance. So I could argue that it's even more competitive, perhaps, than trying to make an Olympic final. Um, that said, I think pressure-wise, the Olympics, there is something about you know a competition being every four years or mm-hmm. I guess three to five years. Now that we're in a kind of different cycle, but. Um, I think in Tokyo, it was this feeling of trying to take it all in while still focusing on the performance. Um, being my first Olympics, you, you're sort of going in with this sort of overwhelming experience. Um, world indoors for me was just this excitement. I didn't know if I'd have an indoor season. Um, as I was still in Canada in January, waiting for my visa Mm -hmm. to come through. So it ended up being this sort of like, week to week, okay, now I have the standard. Okay, now, you know, I'm I'm in the ranking to be able to be selected for Worlds. And then, okay, now I'm going to Worlds, but, you know, I have to make sure I don't get COVID or, you know, I, I make it there and everything goes smoothly. And so until I was on the start line and the gun went, did I feel like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm at the World Indoor Championships. And I think I, you know, I love the 3000. The indoor track has always been something I've, you know, really enjoyed. And I think it was just, it was just another realization like this, you are at the top. And I think it's, you know, performing on that stage, there's so many things that have to go right to be able to have your best day, but your best day might still be last because now everybody in that race can run just as fast as you. And I think just looking at the heat sheet before and, you know, everyone's personal bests, you're just, you know, it's, it is overwhelming in in a way, but I think that's, that's what we're here for is to see, you know, on the given day, like, who can, who can perform.
0: I want to talk about your coach a little bit more before Mark. What was his name again? Steve, Steve. Okay. So I read somewhere that you were having some struggles during, was it your senior year of college?
1: Um, I, I mean, there were struggles throughout, I would say really between kind of that second year, um, to third year was sort of the, yeah, a little bit of setback.
0: I just love that what he told you was, I want you to be healthy, I want you to be happy, and I want you to run fast in that order. Like how important was it for you to have a coach who cared that much about your mental health over your physical achievements?
1: Yeah, that was a very, I think, formative experience. Just when I think back to second year and I sort of made this leap in terms of improvement it wasn't that natural kind of progression I went from you know all Canadian which is top 14 at the at the national championships and then I won in my second year so there were a number of factors I think it was just the the seriousness and how much you know I I really just narrowed in and focused on on running and then you know the results came and I think at that point no one's questioning when things go well you know you're performing you're you know it's it seems like the pinnacle but in terms of health and physically, mentally, I I was not well. And I think looking back, it's it's almost just a blur to to remember. You know that that second to third year, and then having my first injury was just overwhelming. I was not mature at all as an athlete. It was an Achilles uh, sort of tendonitis issue, and just such a stubborn like mindset I think I was just not willing to give and I think that was the point where my coach had stepped in and he just said like you know nothing outweighs your your health and your happiness as an athlete and that's the only thing that's gonna you know allow you to have a sustainable kind of career in sport and even though now I, I look back that's 10 years ago and I'm you know. I I should be a lot, you know, more mature and have a lot more wisdom and, and, you know, the way you approach injury or training or setbacks and performances and success, all of that. But that really, that mantra still holds true for me that, you know, healthy, happy and running fast, because even at this level, there's this tipping point where you, you know, you question, okay, can I you know what can I manipulate? What can I control? How much can I, you know, push this until you know your body is going to say no? That's that's too much. So it it hasn't changed. I think I remind myself every day. You know, this is, this is like the order in which you have to approach the sport.
0: Yeah, it's so smart. Is there anything you've done differently? I mean, it's been a what almost a decade, eight years since you know you're kind of talking back to that younger you. And it sounds like it's a kind of a daily reminder you have to talk yourself into. And also, I know that now you take a more holistic approach on life in general, like running is not the only thing. How have you developed the maturity to like nurture those other pieces of your life?
1: Yeah, I I think I'm still figuring it out. It's interesting because now running is the focus. Mm -hmm. Like I, I never thought I would be doing this for a living. This is Like when I thought about being a student athlete, it was one to one. It was I always had something else that I could fall back on that. You know, I work hard in practice. I work hard, you know, in in school. And then, you know, if if one thing's not going well, you pull on something else. And it, it, it always allows you to have kind of that default. Now I've, you know, my whole life is I've moved to Boston. I've, I've put myself in this position. I'm, I don't have another life outside of this. I think for some athletes they have, you know, family and kids or, you know, other, you know, a career or profession and they, they sort of, they'll go between the two. And I think for me now it's finding other pieces that I'm, you know, that still make me feel grounded. And I think it's just allowing yourself to enjoy life outside of sport and go for your run, focus on the workout. But then when you come home, you know, you put that aside and you sort of forget about it. I I always think we sort of have this like short term memory of like, you know, this morning I just had like, you know, a pretty big tempo session. And then you, you know, in the middle of it, you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then you finish and you forget about it. I come home and then I'll go for my second session this evening. And it's funny. You just kind of live in these sort of very in the moment. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest piece or transitions I've made is not thinking too far ahead. um, And just what can I control right now? And I think that's the only thing that we can really ever, you know, expect of ourselves. And that's actually useful to kind of have your attention. So um, yeah, overall, I think it was, you know, there's, there's been a lot of kind of um, transition pieces, I think that have to come into place to be able to to get to the point where I am, but, um, in a, in a way, a lot has kind of been constant throughout that, that 10 year, I guess, span of performance.
0: You know, I, I love that thought. Um, what can I control right now? That's so applicable to every aspect of life. What can I control right now? And for racing, I mean, it's like when you're in a race or when you're in a hard workout, okay, you might be freaking out a little bit. Like, how am I going to do this in two miles? But like, what can I control right in this moment? That's so good. Is that a sports psychologist tip you've come along?
1: (laughs) I I think honestly, it's just like that's life. You know, if you if you sit too much in the in the past or you're looking too much to the future, it's like you're you're never where you are right now. And I think that for me has just been I'm someone who who wants to have you know control over all aspects, and I. I realized that, you know, even though I might think that I'm, you know, manifesting this sort of like trajectory towards where I want to be, there's so many things that are outside of my control. So the only thing I find comfort in is knowing like today, like what task can I accomplish and, you know, like what can I get done and not holding on to things that don't matter, like just sort of letting it roll off your back. And I think I've had to be really good at pivoting. And I think that's true for a most everyone in the last two years, just being able to make a plan and then be fine with that plan not happening because for whatever reason or restriction or, you know, life happens and it it doesn't go to plan, but there's always something that's going to come up from that. And then at that moment, you can decide, you know, what's my next best move.
0: Hey everybody, a quick break here. I want to let you know about Therabody. I know a lot of you listening to this podcast are running quite a bit of miles and part of upping your game and being able to take your running to the next level is making sure you're getting the recovery that you need. Recovery Air is a groundbreaking pressure massage for everybody anywhere. With Therabody's exclusive fast flush technology, Recovery Air flushes out metabolic waste more fully and brings back fresh blood to your legs at three times the speed of competitors. This will help you have a faster recovery. Therabody's Recovery Air Jet Boots are the first of its kind. They're truly wireless for anywhere, on-the-go recovery, boosting circulation and radically reducing muscle soreness. And thanks to Recovery Air's super intuitive, easy-to-use, one-touch controls, recovering faster is a breeze. Listen, I love that you can just take these things on the go. So if you're traveling after a race or anything like that, you can take these with you. So sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com another to get your Therabody Recovery Air today, starting at just $699 or as low as $59 a month with a firm. Plus, the Recovery Air's 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping, there's no risk therabody.com slash another. All right, back to the show. You mentioned your parents earlier, and it sounds like they've been a really great support system for you. Talk to us a little bit about your upbringing and introduction into running and other things you love. I see that you also love piano.
1: Yeah, I would say, yeah, maybe not a Typical um, upbringing, I guess, from childhood. But I was from a, re- I'm from a really small town, um, Lucknow, Ontario. And growing up, I, I just I did all sports that were sort of accessible or available, I guess, throughout elementary school. And um, I think slowly you start to feel like, you know, you you belong in, in some sports or, you know, you have sort of a natural Um, ability. So I think for me, cross country and track, uh, once I got to high school, and you have to start choosing between seasons, that's sort of what took the president and my parents, I think it's always just been support. And there's never been a, a pressure, you know, they're obviously really proud. But if tomorrow I said, you know, I'm not I'm really not enjoying this, there would not be one, you know, question in terms of I think they trust me completely in my judgment of, you know, my approach to the sport. They know that I'm, you know, putting my whole heart into it, but I think for them, it's more important to see me enjoying it. And that's whatever it is that I want to do. I think that that's, they're just supportive in that way. So, um, I think having kind of a general upbringing in terms of sport and that, that helped me, I think a lot. And, um, yeah, I, the small town, it's funny. Cause I, I always just think about, you know, what it means to represent your country, but just as well as being from such a small community, um, people recognize that and your accomplishments. So in a way, it's you feel bigger when you're from a small area than, you know, if I was from Toronto, there's so many Olympians that came, you know, from from that big, you know, GTA area. So for me, it was it was really, really special. And to go home, it just it always feels like this sort of reset and to be able to ground myself again, running on, you know, the gravel roads that led me to Tokyo. And I'm thinking, you know, I was running those same roads back in high school. It's just it's sort of a cool um, experience. And I I never take that for granted.
0: That is beautiful. You probably don't know this song. It reminds me of that miranda lambert song everybody's famous in a small town or something like that do you know what song yeah. i'm talking about yeah. Yeah. everybody dies famous in a small town um mm-hmm. that's so interesting to hear too i i'm always like i want to live in a bigger city or town because i just want more things to do but my friend sarah Canny, she lives in a small town she recently posted something about like don't underestimate the value and the beauty of living in a small town. Like there's so many beautiful things about that. Do you think about that? Like if you ever want to raise a family or wherever you want to settle one day, like, do you think about being in a place like you grew up?
1: Yeah, it's, I really don't know where I'm going to end up. I think that's a huge question mark for me just because I've, there's been so many things that have changed in the last five years. Like, you make this plan and then it's like, okay, (laughs) next thing you know, you know, you're living in the U.S. But um, there is something to be said about the community aspect, that connection that you have. Um, A lot of people will say, you know, you you move to a city because of opportunity. But I would argue that, you know, then, you know, competition and I think, I, you know, I was just saying to my parents going home, it's like, you're not fighting for a parking spot. You're not fighting for, you know, you're not paying for everything, every move that you make. And there's this sort of breath of fresh air. And I, I don't know if people from the city would have the same experience if they were to go into a rural community because, you know, maybe then it's too quiet or too isolated or too, you know, sort of, um, distant from, you know, where they feel like they're at home. But for me, it's like that that sort of like slower life is, is something that actually gives me sort of like energy and fulfillment and, and just makes me feel like I can, you know, sort of refocus and reset before things take off and we're on the road traveling and training.
0: Wow. I love that thought. I mean, that's why we go on vacation to quiet places, right? It's like it gives you that reset and that, that calmness. So is Boston like culture shock for you? Because not only did you move to a big city, Like you moved to Boston. I feel like everything on the East Coast, and this is me coming from the Midwest. I now live like Southeast Coast, but it's like everything is so fast and loud there that it really stresses me out. Tell me how you feel about it.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was definitely a transition. I don't think I really knew this is like I don't know if this is just me, but I sort of am naive when I make these jumps in my life, even going to university, but Kingston was relatively small, like maybe 150,000. And then I moved to London, which was a bit bigger, like 400. And now being in Boston, I'm thinking like, this is like, I don't know, maybe like five times the size, but it's, it does have a small town feel in some way. I think it's the most similar to Canadian city in terms of climate. So that even makes me feel somewhat at home, just because there are seasons, there's that long fall. Um, but there are things that like, you know, I'm, I'm not used to, or just, you know, people always joke about like driving in Boston, you know, it's, it's sort of a, <laughs> it can be a little bit intimidating sometimes, but um, I think having the team to come and move here and, and just be able to, you know, have that support was immediately, um, sort of a comfort for me. I think, you know, immediately you have like seven other friends that you can, um, call on and, um, uh, you know, finding your running routes and exploring the city. And then once you have a little bit of a routine, you know, you start to explore and, and, you know, adventure out a little bit. So I think it'll be nice to have, you know, a few years here just to, um, you know, live this chapter of my life.
0: Yeah, it's super exciting. I know anytime I, I usually choose not to drive, like I will take an Uber or my husband will drive and we're somewhere, somewhere like Boston. Um, I like get my feelings hurt if someone like honks at me or like, I can't handle the one time I was in this like bank area, I was trying to get into this ATM and I couldn't get the door open right. And this guy yelled at me because he was busy and I was trying to get his help. And I was like, Ew, is this what people are like? And I'm totally stereotyping, but ever since that one experience, I'm like scared to approach people when I'm in New York City or Boston or somewhere like
1: that. No, definitely. You can't take it too personally. And I think there, there's a Canadian stereotype too, that goes along with it. You know, I'll, if there's someone that's trying to merge into the, into the lineup in traffic and, you know, I'll leave the space and hold it for them. And it's funny because they do a double take, thinking like, there's no way you're going to let me in. And I'm thinking like, this is, this is normal. Like back home, you know, if someone's trying to like, you share the road all yeah. traffic, it's better, you know, it's, but there is, it's a faster paced life. And I think, You know, you can't take it too personally. You know, if someone's just honking at you, it it just comes out of frustration, maybe. But um, yeah. All right.
0: Boston people chime in. Let us know your thoughts. Um, Okay, I want to hear about the team, New Balance Boston and, and working with Mark Coogan. I know I've talked to some other members of the team. Talk to us about your teammates. Who are you training with mostly?
1: Yeah. So we have, um, seven women on the team and then drew Piazza, um, an 800 meter runner. So, um, we basically from 800 meter to 10 K, I think there's someone for everything. That's sort of how I look at the, the group in terms of, um, our performance and just in terms of ability, um, and range, uh, we, Katrina, um, Coogan, Mark's daughter, um, she's sort of 5 K 10 K as long as, as well as Millie Palladino, sorry. Um, And then Ellie um, Preer and um, Heather McLean, they're both in that 1500 range, um, although they can kind of go both ways as well. And then um, Shifra, Clary Butner, and um, Sarah McDonald, they're both shorter distance. So the group is is a bit more international now. I think we have, you know, between the US, Ireland, uh, Great Britain, and then myself and Canada, it's cool to have this sort of mixed group. And I think especially being a Canadian coming into a US um, team, it allows me to benefit from that group without taking a spot in terms of qualifications. So, you know, you're still representing your country, Um, but you're able to be able to train, um, and, you know, race and still compete with these women. But that's something I really, you know, that I, that I thought that was a huge plus. We don't have professional groups in, in Canada. So, yeah.
0: Who are some Canadian athletes though, that you look up to that you feel like have kind of paved the way for your generation coming up?
1: Um, like, I can't think of anyone in specific that I've kind of followed a path, similar to, although, you know, a lot of Canadians went to the NCAA for school and then likely they stayed and and joined a pro group. Mind you, a lot of, of our Olympians were raised in, in the Canadian system, competed, you know, in, in the U sports, um, program. So it's, it's sort of interesting because I think you can, there's a number of ways that you can approach it. Um, although I think your, you know, your lifestyle and, sort of what you value in terms of training. And, you know, if you have family or, you know, if you're really a homebody that plays into it a lot. So, um, you know, there's been a few people that have moved into the U S and it's nice cause you, then, then you go to races and it's sort of like, you know, you have those Canadian teammates as well. Um, but, I sort of liked that it was a bit different and that, you know, there wasn't already like five Canadians on the team and, you know, I was just joining the group. I think I'm someone who likes to sort of start my own little path or journey and uh, make it unique to to me and, and not just sort of fall into things. But yeah, I think you can be successful in a lot of different programs, but it is an advantage to be able to have year round training.
0: Yeah, what made you decide to stay in Canada for university as opposed to coming to the NCAA?
1: Yeah, I think at that point um, I wouldn't have been ready to make that move um, to to move in terms of across the border. Mm-hmm. I wanted to leave home, but you know it was just five hours from home where I went to school, so it it wasn't totally intentional in terms of not choosing the NCAA. I think it was more so a lack of. Um, knowledge or just understanding of what it meant to, to run in the U S looking back, I think everything, you know, works that you always talk about your university experience being the best possible. I think I could have had awesome experiences like in a, in a number of different places. But, um, I think for where I was at, at that point, it was the best move that I, that I made.
0: Tell me about your parents, like how they feel about you coming to the U S and being so far away from home.
1: Yeah, I th- I think this is actually the first time that they sort of not questioned but just made me think a little bit a little like about what this meant um, in terms of a next step. And I remember coming home um, after the Olympics last summer. I think this was in August, and uh, my dad just sort of sat me down. We were having lunch, and he just I think he just wanted to give me the space mm. to. Be very open in terms of, you know, is this what I want? Or is this just making sense in terms of my move? Because I think after you perform at that level, the next question is, you know, are you going to try and go towards Paris? You know, what's your next goal in terms of running? Where, you know, are you going to race the rest of this summer? And I think he just wanted to know that this was coming from me and not from the outside in terms of, you know, the expectation that you're, you're going to pursue this for the next, you know, Olympic cycle. So that was, I think, important to me, um, just to really think about what it meant to, to make that transition. Um, the U S you jumped through a number of hoops, I think, you know, just travel wise visa requirements. Um, there's a lot of things that you know, healthcare that you don't think about um, until you make that transition. Like staying in Canada would have been much easier mm-hmm. by far. Um, but sometimes the easy option is, oftentimes actually, it's it's probably not going to be the one that's going to you know push you or or you're going to have that growth the same. So um, yeah, it, it was. Um, I think for my parents at least they sort of took the back seat and just trusted me that, you know, I, I'd be able to make this happen. But always knowing that, you know, if it doesn't work, that's okay. Like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You can, you can always come home. It's not like, you know, that option is is taken away from you. So I think that's something I always um, am really grateful for just having them um, knowing that they have my back.
0: Yeah, that's really special. How are you managing your days? So you're running twice a day, doing strength training quite a bit. But you mentioned a lot of athletes have all these other things like, you know, maybe they have a family, maybe they have an, you know, I just interviewed Elena Tab and she's a teacher full time, you know, so you have multi passions. How are you balancing that? Like, I want to do other things, but this is my main focus. Let's let's talk about that topic a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny how you can fill your day. I, like when I think about kind of a Monday to Friday schedule, like I'm doubling four times a week. Um, our, our morning sessions take the majority. Like I leave at nine, I come back at lunch, um, in the afternoon, you know, you try and get a little bit of work done, emails or meetings, um, lay down for a little bit. And then if you know, you have treatment or something like that, that usually takes another hour, hour, half. Um, and then, yeah, that second session, I'll I'll fit in weights and wait training, and then um, by that time it's it's dinner, and you're sort of winding down for the evenings. So, it's it's weird to tell people that it's not a normal life. Um, but I think what's underestimated is the amount of time that you're spending in travel. And I think from January until the end of summer, we're essentially on the road. Like Boston is sort of our our base camp, but. Um, We're either in Flagstaff training or away at races competing. So really the fall from September until December is when we're in Boston and, and you know, you're, you're basically stationed and you're not traveling around too much, but um, depending on what you qualify for and teams um, that's, yeah, you're on the road a lot. So being good at traveling and just packing well and, um, finding kind of the little comforts and, and making sure that you sort of like um, lean in, I guess, to different, you know, environments and training. And I was in California for three weeks before heading to Worlds. So it's this almost whiplash, back and forth um, as you, you know, make your way across the country. But I think that's something I can do now and that I don't take for granted that, um, you know, later on in life, you know, when am I going to be able to do this? And I think that's something, you know, I'm taking full advantage of. This is, you know, a selfish time in your life that you can dedicate this to. And then, you know, later on, I can see um, other things coming first versus just, you know, training and running.
0: So when did you say you're heading to Flagstaff?
1: So we'll be heading there, um, just around Boston Marathon weekend there, the the 18th.
0: So you leave before the marathon?
1: We, some of us will be staying, um, to race, uh, with the mile and 5k uh-huh. all actually heading out before that weekend. But, um, yeah, that's mid April.
0: Do you have feelings on leaving before the hoopla? Yeah,
1: it, I, I think it gets pretty chaotic here, um, in, in Boston. I, I wonder what the airport's going to be like that weekend, but, um, uh, we were here in the fall because they did have the, sure. the marathon, um, in October, I believe that was. Um, or November. So that that was kind of special to see it as well. Um, but definitely, like I live on mile 22 here. At oh, the fine. So it is it is kind of cool to think like you're right there. Um, but I'm hoping, you know, in future years, we'll have an opportunity to take part.
0: Okay, so you got to experience it in the fall. Did you get out on the course? We did. Yeah, there's,
1: I mean, obviously pretty spectator friendly, but yeah, we were able to, to get out there. And, um, although, you know, with COVID, it was still a bit restricted. So, um, hopefully, hopefully this year, um, it's, you know, they'll, it'll be the full experience, but, um, and let's hope for good weather as well.
0: I know. I'm trying to think what was the weather like in the fall? The fall was a little humid. I it was think a that, humid. okay.
1: Yeah, they seemed to struggle. I think it wasn't hot, but it definitely was, the air was thick.
0: Hey everybody, I wanna tell you about the Amino Company. Strength training has been an integral part of my workout routine for the past two years now. But sometimes it's really hard to get motivated to strength train because running is my jam. That is like the thing I wanna do and I'm assuming Many of you feel that way as well. I've been on the lookout for something that could help with energy and focus for that strength training. A lot of times I will do a harder interval session with running and then go right into my leg workout uh, with strength training so that I am not doing my intervals or long runs on tired legs. I'm doing the strength training session on the tired legs from the workout. And I started taking Perform, which is a product from the Amino company and have noticed a big bump in my energy during those strength training routines. It helps improve strength performance, reduces fatigue, and increases muscle protein synthesis so that you recover faster. I love how I feel when I take Perform, but I also appreciate it even more that it's backed by actual science. In fact, the research on amino acids and performance enhancements is well documented with hundreds of studies demonstrating their effectiveness. Now this is cool. The Amino Company's Perform was created by lead scientist and co-founder Dr. Robert Wolf. He's completed 62 marathons in under two hours and 30 minutes. Yeah, you heard that right. So you can even use Perform during your long runs and workouts to increase focus and performance during the run itself. If you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to boosting your peak athletic performance, I highly recommend you give Perform a try. And right now, you can get 30% off by using the code SANDYBOY when you visit Aminoco.com SANDYBOY. Plus, get a free gift with every purchase. That's Aminoco.com SANDYBOY. Use the code SANDYBOY for 30% off your order. All right, back to the show. Um, okay, let's talk about that breaking 15 minutes in the 5,000 for the first time and those big jumps you took in 2021. I mean, was that the big year?
1: It was, yeah. I think that was really... Um, when I think back to my whole um, season last year, the most special was breaking fifteen ten for the first time, actually, um, to get under that Olympic standard. Even though I went on to run sub 15. I think that was really kind of that, like the pinnacle, um, and then qualifying.
0: How did you get to that self-belief? Like I can hit this standard. Well, if you told me that it would have taken sub 15 to make the team, I (laughs) probably
1: wouldn't have even tried. No, I shouldn't say that, but it was sort of, it was a step-by-step. And as I said before, like being in the moment, every race that I ran, um, I just sort of, I just checked it off, you know, every time I stepped on the track, I had run a personal best. So I think there was some momentum and motivation that came from continuously taking off seconds because I had run five five thousands over the course of a few months to be able to get to the point of running, you know, under the standards. So I came in with a PB of, you know, 1547 and then I scrambled it up to 1457. Wow. You know, it was sort of this huge jump. But every time that I performed, I think I could have, I remember the first race in Austin, I was, you know, in tears after thinking like, there's, there's no way like I 1532, like this is I'm still like 200 meters off this time. Um, But then you sort of shake it off, you give yourself that 24 hours and just let yourself sit in it. And I think those are exactly the defining moments of which path you're going to choose. Are you going to choose the I'm going to challenge us and see, you know, what I'm capable of, or am I going to choose just to, you know, let that be, um, you know, the reason that I'm, I'm going to step away. And I think both have merit, you know, you can justify it either way of why you want to pursue and why you want to step aside. And I think for me, it was just writing it out on paper, you know, my goals and knowing that like in terms of qualification You know, if I if I made the team amazing, if I didn't, that was fine too. You know, it was not this sort of be all end all. It was just sort of like a a reason for me to just continuously work towards that without being too focused on Tokyo. And I think that is really important from a from the athlete perspective, is just to make sure that you know you have this outcome, you have this goal. But what's more important is focusing on, you know, those steps that you're taking to get there and and really being in that moment of, you know, that journey towards it. Because um, if you're if you're too outcome focused, like it's, you know, then there's so many it, it's going to deter you, I think, in a lot of ways. It, it can be really intimidating when, you know, your times are not really where they need to be. And and then you you, you kind of question um, what you've been doing. But I think that consistency um, and in a way, I guess, not caring too much, um, obviously wanting to do well, but not letting it sort of get under my skin where I thought, okay, like, am I really capable? And I think now I'm experiencing that same feeling of, am I am I good enough? Like, is this actually possible for me to be, you know, one of the best? And I think that's, it's, it's the same situation, just now a different level.
0: Yeah. Somebody needed to hear that. That is listening to this podcast because we have people that are like, you know, Boston Marathon qualifier or or nothing like that is what I want to live or die on. That's what I want to get. But when you're so focused on that specific time, you're kind of taken away from the experience of getting there and like how many steps you've taken when you do have the race that maybe you do or don't qualify for. But like, I think if you obsess over that number or that time so much, like you're kind of like belittling the work that you did.
1: Absolutely. And that's, I think coming back again to like last season, yes, I went to the Olympics, but when I think about my happiest moment or just more, it was a hundred percent. It was Mount Sac in California in the middle of May running, you know, 1502 and just thinking like, you know, how can I get better than this? And I think that's such a a satisfying feeling. And I've had that, you know, that moment of realization now, a few times, even when I was back at the training camp in February, when we were in San Diego, and just thinking, like, you know, if this is it, like, it's been good. (laughs) And, you know, I would I would actually say that to people, I think, and even just talking to my parents, I'm like, they probably think this is a little bit morbid. (laughs) (laughs) If tomorrow's my last day, like this has been so fulfilling and I think if you can live like that just to think like you know I'm 28 now and of course there's so many goals that I have set out for myself there's so much I still want to do and accomplish and but if if this is it like if this is really you know in terms of where I've come and what I've done in the last you know even just 10 years I think there's so much that I've I've filled you know this time with and I think I find comfort in that and Now looking ahead, of course, you know, you want to make another Olympic team, you want to go to Paris, you want to check all these boxes and I have, you know, so many times and goals written out. But in the end, it's just that the day to day that process this now being with a group of women and, you know, having all these friends around. And I think that to me is just so much more meaningful. And Mark reminds us that often, you know, it's you want to be one of the best, but it's more important, important just, you know, to be a good person and and enjoy that whole experience. So I, I definitely have leaned into that.
0: I love that you give a nod to your community of runners that you're with. I sort of recently interviewed Lori Hines, who's the coach at NC State. And we, t- we were talking about how her team won the national championship. And one of my favorite pieces of that conversation is she just talks about like more than wanting to win and wanting to be the best. These women like to be together they enjoy each other's company, they want to be together. And I think that when you can create a training environment like that, like it sounds like you have, you're just setting everybody up for more success.
1: Yeah, no, and it's it's not a team sport, but it is. And I I think about that all the time. Now, being amidst a group, it's like there is strength in the herd. There is, you know, you you kind of put yourself aside a little bit to see the betterment of the group. And even if, you know, you're not having your best day, well, someone else is and, you know, you have the the support around you. I think there's, you know, sometimes like even in the midst of a workout, I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, we have another 10 minutes at this pace. Like, I don't know if I can hang on. And then you just look around and you're like, you know what, like there's, we're all in this right now together. Everyone's hurting, you know, mm-hmm. we, can, yeah. we can either, you know, slow down a little bit and settle in or you just stop looking at the watch and you just, you know, focus on, okay, you know, you're looking at their back and you're just sort of like, you know, you run within yourself. And I think this is going to be that transition I need to make, especially in terms of racing and performing is not being so fixated on the clock and the splits and just running what's, you know, what's given to you running the race that's happening in that moment. Because up until now, I've been really good at hitting a time, looking at the splits, running a standard, you know, checking the box, but that's not how it works once you get to the level of, you know, a championship style race. So I think that team environment is exactly what gives you sort of, you know, looking at the people around you and and using that as sort of, you know, that next push.
0: What do you say to yourself when you are in those moments? We have listeners that are doing their own hard workouts at their own level And there are moments where we want to quit or we think, I can't possibly do this another five minutes. What are some things you tell yourself to stay in the game?
1: I think, well, I hear this from marathoners a lot. It's just, you know, whether it's within every 5K checkpoint, but just running in, you know, run the mile that you're in sort of and and not looking too far ahead. Um, I think I'm someone that will take the full workout and then break it down from there. So coach, you know, they'll say, well, 25 minutes of tempo. So I look at that whole 25 minutes and I think, okay, this is about the distance that we're going to cover. I can expect, you know, that we're going to be finished around here. And then once we start, then it's sort of that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm getting to the next three minutes. I'm getting to the next, you know, 10. Okay. Now we're half. All right. Now we have two minutes left and not, you know, checking back in too, too much. But, um, I think what I do struggle with now is letting go a little bit of that control, because I think when you're training on your own, you control every aspect and you make it as hard as you want. But you can also justify that when it feels hard that, you know, for a number of reasons, you know, this is that's why maybe you slow down or, you know, your second rep wasn't as fast. But now you have all these sort of points of reference when you're in this training group and, you know, there's really no excuse in terms of, you know, you you have so many people that are able to push you and i think it's going to make me better to not have to be always setting the pace for myself mm. and just letting sort of go of that you know that control piece of you know i have to get you know this this rep needs to be you know 78 or whatever and i think mark also he he is big on effort and less on time and i think for people training on their own just to remember that you know depending on that day whether you know you're running 5 minute mile pace or whatever that could be equivalent to you know 520 depending on you know what that feels like for you um so i think it's sometimes it's important to you know let go of the watch a little bit and just you know trust your instinct and and trust the people around you and and just sort of let that carry you
0: i want to talk about your heart for volunteering and philanthropy I know you um, started the Rerun Shoe Project when you were in Canada. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so it's, that was in 2016. It sort of came out of, um, you know, I started with New Balance in 2015, and you realize how many shoes you accumulate as a runner. So I think for me it was just this way of giving back, but also, you know, looking at how many pairs of shoes, you know, that people still appreciate. And I, had, I was living with seven girls at the time, and it would be this sort of like – you know, I'd pass along a pair of shoes that were still, you know, perfectly good for for everyday use. And, you know, that were just maybe finished in terms of mileage. So then I started this project to be able to, to donate these shoes on an ongoing basis and have drop off locations, um, you know, at running stores and in the local community. Um, So people could donate and then, you know, bringing these to other, you know, youth sport organizations or um, shelters um, that can use the, that could use the shoes. So it's sort of, Grew from there and now uh, it's located in three cities um, across Canada. So it's sort of developed into this kind of bigger project. And, you know, I, I didn't really have any, you know, objective or goal in terms of that, but I think it's just been something that, you know, that I can, that other piece that I have going on. And I think it's really important, especially in the sport as well is, you know, how can you give back? So Um, we had a bit of a pause over the last few months here, um, and now moving to Boston as well. I'm just sort of in the midst of transitioning things over and stepping back a bit and just letting, um, you know, other people (laughs) kind of manage it from, from back home. But, um, yeah, it, it it is something that I feel like it's kind of cool to think about, you know, where it started and now where it's going.
0: Yeah. You have this idea and you can do something about it, or you can just think about your idea and you executed, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I also read that you, did you volunteer for the boys and girls club and there's a just girls running club?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that came out of sort of the project as well. Um, I had touched base with someone who was working at the, the just like the boys and girls club in Kingston. And, um, essentially they just, they saw a need for especially young girls in sport. How do we um, have that retention so that, you know, they feel like they, this is something that they enjoy and belong in. And that's where the running club started out of. Um, and then obviously through donations as well, I think, you know, footwear is something that's sort of um, overlooked, but it's so important, you know, if you, if you don't have the right shoes to be able to participate, that's a big barrier. So um, that was sort of the the partnership. and then once I moved from Kingston, I, I started it in London. And then um, now I've sort of, um, I guess, delegated in, yeah. in terms of role.
0: Yeah. It's hard to do that sometimes when it's something that you've created, like it's your baby, but it's time to move on and just kind of like handing over the reins to someone else. It's important, but it's hard. Definitely. Okay. So we always wrap up here with end of podcast questions. So we'll start with this question, which I think will be interesting now that you're like with this new group, and you know, you set all these big goals and and made 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 them happen in twenty twenty one with making the Olympics and then making your first Worlds team. Um, what is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet?
1: So I'd say professionally, um, I would say from a running perspective, I think making World Outdoors um, this coming year. I think I've never made. Um, that team, um, and now having a few opportunities, um, from now until, um, 2024, I think that's definitely a goal of mine and making a final as well. Um, that's something I've, you know, talked to Mark a lot about, and then sort of writing out what times realistically you need to hit to be able to qualify for that. Um, and then, yeah, personally, I think sort of figuring out, you know, not necessarily like life after sport, but setting myself up in a way that you know ties together the education that I have, you know, in my background with you know sports psychology and um, teaching, and and sort of how I want to navigate, you know, towards. Um, yeah, I don't want to say retirement. I hope I'm always involved in in running in some capacity, but I think that's you know my career is something I I foresee. I don't see myself running professionally for. For life, But I think this is something I'm slowly working towards in terms of what that looks like. And student athlete success is something I've always been sort of passionate about at that university level is supporting people at that stage where I remember, I think I made, you know, a lot of um, mistakes in some ways, but a lot of growth as well. And I think being in a position where you can help guide and, um, you know, facilitate that would be really cool.
0: Yeah. It's, it's cool to think of you being someone who went through th- some challenges at that level, like being able to come in and with your psychology background, like really talk to these young women and help them get their head on right and help them like see what their potential is when they take care of themselves.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And just giving people a chance to be able to you know, there's so many other stressors in being that university environment. And I think, especially as a student athlete, you're expected to perform on all levels. And I think sometimes you just need that person that can just sort of validate how you feel and then focus on, okay, what, you know, what can I control right now? And just, you know, those coping mechanisms and strategies, I think is, is really important because that translates to, every aspect of what you're doing is, you know, when you're presented with a challenge, how are you approaching that? And how like, do you have the skills to be able to, to overcome it? So. Yeah.
0: I love that. What's the best, most recent book that you've read? Well, I, I won't pretend that I'm some, you know, a big (laughs) reader, but I do,
1: I'm I'm sort of your, you know, bi-monthly kind of book, but, um, Recently, I just finished uh, Normal People, which by Sally Rooney, I think it's British based novel, um, sort of just a bit of a like high school love story, but it was made into um, a show as well. So I'm actually just watching the series and it's one of the best. uh, Well done. Um, It's on Hulu, actually. So um, would definitely recommend um, nothing sport related, but definitely like a coming of age.
0: Um, I haven't heard of that. And that's exciting that it's a show. Do you think that we should read it first? Always, always read. I agree. I agree. The one show I didn't read first was, um, little fires everywhere. And I don't know if I regret it or not, but I almost always read the book first. It's way more fun. Definitely. Um, yeah, I saw your, you had a post with like all your books you read last year. you read, I mean, that's a decent amount of books. Yeah,
1: usually. I mean, there's a couple that I, I still have not got to, but um, it was something I think I just set aside for myself as sort of a bedtime book rather than, you know, watching a show or something. We spend a lot of time just on a screen. And I think there is something about having kind of a, a physical copy and, and just sort of getting lost in that. And especially fiction, I think I, I enjoy something that takes you outside of your own world for a little bit
0: totally okay so normal people is that a good vacation book absolutely okay i'm gonna go pick it up we're going to Santa Belle on friday so i need a i have like my my spirituality books my like self-help books i need to add a um a vacation book that's not like scary so i'll i'll choose that um what do we end oh we have two more questions who's someone fun motivating or inspiring you would like to have coffee tea or a cocktail with
1: I would have to say the Obamas. Mm. I think if I had the opportunity to sit down and just talk, I think that would be definitely, um, I, I like from so many different aspects. I mean, I, I've read both of their books as well. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said about their leadership. Um, and I think even just their relationship and how they navigated that during Barack's time. I think that's something I've, I just really um, look up to and um, I, I don't think I'll ever get that opportunity, but um, it's nice to think about. Which book should we start with if we haven't read either of their books? I would say Becoming, uh, Michelle's book, just because um, I believe it was released first and it gives a different perspective to um, not so much um, you know the work that was being done, but more so the background of how that changed their lives as a family. And then as well as how they, you know, stuck together and and how they, you know, tried to keep some normalcy while, you know, raising two girls in the White House. And um, I think she, there's some warmth that Michelle has that I think so many people can relate to. And being a Canadian, I think that's, it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're not so politically driven. It's not the first topic of conversation, but coming to the U.S., it is, it is really different in terms of that landscape. So I think um, it's something that I've sort of, you know, explored a little bit more, especially now living in Boston.
0: Um, Okay. What is your last message to leave with the audience today?
1: Um, I think just from our conversation, I guess as a, a summary point, but I think it is really just what can you control in the moment and not getting too caught up on the things that, you know, you don't, you know, you don't either know yet or that you can't, um, you know, control right now. And I think um, letting go of, of things that don't matter too much. I think you need to be able to filter out the noise. And I think from whether it's an athlete perspective or, you know, just in your everyday life, but I think it is really important to give attention to the things that really matter to you. Um, And that can even be in the form of, you know, social media following or unfollowing the things that really matter. Um, You know, relationships that you have, or, you know, the goals that you've set out for yourself, just making sure that, you know, those are in line with the values that you have and that are directing you towards the goals that you want to achieve. And I think that's always going to put you on the right path towards where you wanna go and you know, surrounding yourself with those like-minded individuals is only gonna propel you, so um,
0: yeah. That is wonderful, thank you so much.
1: You're, you're very welcome, thank you for having me on.
0: All right, everybody, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Julianne, for sharing your story. What an awesome conversation. I am super inspired by you. You can find Julianne on Instagram. She is J-A-S-T-A-E-H-L-I on Instagram. You can find me personally on Instagram. I am Lindsay Hines 626 over there. And hey, friends, if you are looking for a way to support the Donna Foundation, you know, I believe so much about the Donna Foundation and all that they're doing. I believe in them so much. Um, they have a Mother's Day virtual race coming up that I'm going to participate in. Here from Raleigh. If you live in the Raleigh area, hit me up on Instagram, Lindsay 626, and we can run it together. Uh, there's an in-person race also in Jacksonville. You can sign up for the race when you just go to mdyw.breastcancermarathon.com use the code Lindsay one zero, and that'll save you 10% off your registration. And that money all supports the Donna foundation. So let's go support this awesome organization year round. I'm so passionate about it. And again, if you're in Raleigh, hit me up on Instagram and come run this 5k with me on Saturday, May 7th. So that's mdyw.breastcancermarathon.com and code Lindsay 10 to register. Uh, yeah. And when you message me, we'll figure out details about where we're running and all that. I've got some other friends that are probably going to join us. All right, friends. Thanks for being here. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Check us out on Instagram, Sandy Boy Productions, as well as our new website, sandyboyproductions.com. You can find me personally, Hine 626 on Instagram. I'm at Hine on Twitter, and we have a great Facebook group. I'll have another podcast over there. Thanks for being here. Have a great rest of your week, a wonderful Friday. And as always, we'll see you next Friday.